This might be the most important episode on the podcast, in my opinion. I welcome back both Karina Hayward and Mercedes Corona to go into a thought exercise on race and stories. That's how it starts out, at least, and then we go further and more personally as well. I highly recommend you listen to the entire conversation, and I hope you get as much out of it as we all did. My name is Justin Sincere. Mercedes and I are licensed marriage and family therapists. Welcome to Stuck Not Broken. We are going to begin with the thought exercise led by a licensed professional counselor and counselor educator, Dr. Karina Hayward. Imagine that you're sitting in a classroom on the first day of class, waiting for your instructor to arrive. You're nervous, not sure what to expect. You've never had this instructor before, but there is one thing that you know. You want to do well in this course. All of the students keep filing into the classroom and everyone is settling in. Your instructor still has not arrived. What are you feeling inside? What bodily sensations are arising? Students are sharing their stories about work and family. They're laughing and joking. You watch them from afar. You can hear them. You can see them. You're even tempted to laugh at their jokes but you're quiet because you're anxiously awaiting the arrival of your instructor. So what do your peers look like? What are they talking about? And what kind of jokes are you overhearing? Oh, damn. Interesting things just popped in my mind. Whoa. Okay. Which I'll keep secret. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wow. You let me know when you're ready and I'll go to the next part. There was a kid in high school. What the hell was his name? Because he just popped in my mind and some story I overheard him telling. Okay, so can you you say those questions again? Yeah. Um, What do your peers look like? What are they talking about? And what kind of jokes are you overhearing? Oh, I can feel myself getting anxious because I'm reading the lines, the next line. (laughs) Okay. I'm getting anxious because you're like, you put a lot of like anticipation in it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And like, and then my own, you know, never mind. Yeah. I'm nervous. Let's move on. (laughs) Okay. You ready, Justin? (laughs) I I had so many things go through my mind, but yeah, go ahead, please. Okay. Are, Are you? Okay. I think so. You're hoping that your instructor is nice, that they grade fairly. You're hoping that the course, one of your last, will not be a barrier to you graduating and entering your dream profession. What is your dream profession? Are we supposed to be a kid? Actually, did you even, did you say what age we are? No, oh. I didn't. Excuse me. <laughs> I tried to to leave out a you lot of did. details. You did leave um, out all. Oh, see, now I'm like rethinking the whole thing. <laughs> so, I think stick to what you were thinking because yeah. that's what. All right. Yeah. So what was your dream profession, said? Yes. You said? What is your dream profession? 
I'm sorry. I'm, I'm excited. I, get, I might over talk people. I get excited. You are excited. I am. I'm into this now. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Now I'm thinking That's about fun. the whole age question because I, I like know. in my head, I'm at, I'm in college, like undergrad. And, but then like I was thinking like if it was high school, it, my answers would be really different. Right. Right. Okay. So with every breath, time slows down. Every tick of the clock feels like an entire minute. And then two people walk into the classroom. You finally get to see your instructor. What do they look like? And who is the other person? What does that person look like? Two people walk into the room. What do they look like? Which one's the instructor? Instructor? All right, I'm going to give you a little detail here. So one person is female in her late 50s or early 60s. She's dressed in jeans and a nice top. Her hair is straight in a bob down to her shoulders. Her gold and diamond jewelry is noticeable, and she looks slightly uncomfortable. What is a bob? Like a... Just kind of like, like a, a, a haircut. Like a straight, like, yeah. Like okay. straight across. Sorry. <laughs> okay. um, I was wondering if you were going to ask that. I'm like, I wonder if Justin knows what a bob Really? Is. You know me so well. I really right. did. <laughs> so the other person appears to be a black female. She's in her early 30s. Curly hair. Wearing a bright blue dress. And matched blue beaded jewelry she looks friendly slightly nervous but is clearly engaged who is the instructor can you describe the clothing of the first person again yes so the first person is dressed in jeans and a nice top and then her hair is straight and a bob down to her shoulders her gold and diamond jewelry is noticeable, and she looks slightly uncomfortable. And she was in her 50s? Yes, late 50s or early 60s is what you're guessing. Okay. And the question is, which one's the, who's the teacher? Yeah, who's the instructor? Okay. All right, I'm going to give you some more details. Okay. So the older female, the one in her late 50s or early 60s, takes a seat and digs around in her bag, retrieving a book. The younger female stands to the side of the classroom and smiles at everyone. Who is the instructor? And the last part is just you notice them both. You size them up. Final decision. Who is the instructor? Okay. That's my story. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. All right. We should break this down. Let's do. You want to? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Karina, lead us. Lead us. Should I give context here. for this? I story? think. Yeah. Give. Can you give some context? So should I tell you where we this have came our from? Answers written. So no yes, cheating, please. Justin. Okay. <laughs> So I'll, I'll give you, I'll tell you where the story came from. Actually, after my conversation with Justin, where I had shared a different story, 
I remembered this story, which I thought was really interesting. So um, obviously I'm a, I'm a professor. I teach in a counseling program. I teach graduate students and a program that I used to work for had offered classes in St. Lucia. And so we're down in St. Lucia and I am asked to instruct a class, but I decided to bring my mother with me that day and my mom is white. And so when we walked into the classroom together, a student who was clearly anxious immediately walked up to her and said, Dr. Hayward, I need to talk to you about something. And my mom already had her book in her hand. She was kind of like, I want to watch you teach, but I also don't want to be distracting or make your students uncomfortable. So I'm just going to read my book. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Sit off to the side and you can tune in when you want to and tune out when you want to do that. So he goes up to her and he's like, Dr. Hayward, Dr. Hayward, I have something I need to talk to you about. And she said, uh, my mom is also German. So she has a very thick accent. And, and when he said, uh, when he said that, she goes, uh, I'm Mrs. Hayward, but that's Dr. Hayward. And, and she pointed to me and he immediately goes, oh, I thought she was one of us because this is a class full of all black students from St. Lucia. And he goes, but she looks hmm. just like one of us. She can't be the instructor. Hmm. And and then my mom said, I'm just her mom. And he goes, oh, you're her mommy. You're, you're her mommy. What? And <laughs> got really confused and then was like, I'm so sorry. And then he was like, Dr. Hayward. And he came to me and he was, then he came to me. But we had a conversation about that because the students kind of all got a good laugh out of it. And my mom was clearly flustered and embarrassed because she's super introverted and probably didn't even really want to be there. Um, but the students basically said, well, she looks more like all of the instructors that we've ever had. They typically are older white people. And so I just made the assumption that she was the instructor and you were one of our classmates. And I was like, okay. So I was at the time, I think I was 31. My mom was 58. Um, I was clearly dressed more for the part, like more professional. My mom was sort of in like beach gear, sort of like jeans and a nice beachy kind of top. Um, my mom also wears a lot of gold kind of flashy jewelry, which is why I put that comment in there. Um, and she was sitting off to the side. So she was so confused and I didn't even see the student go up to her because I was so focused on smiling and engaging and watching the students settle in and getting my thoughts together for what I was about to do to introduce myself. So that's how this story came to be. Fascinating. Nice. That's really, that's a really good one. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm curious what Mercedes has to say about this. <laughs> How so? Like, I want to know what. You're, what, what so let's go over our answers. Can we? Can we do that? Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. What was the first question? Let's let's talk about the first one. Okay. <laughs> so the first question was um, when all of the students were filing into the classroom and settling in, and the instructor had still not arrived. So, what are your feelings inside, and what are your bodily sensations that are ar arising? So I, I, I just, I put myself there. So this is Mercedes in college. So I, that's, I imagine myself in college. And um, for some reason, I imagine myself in my first year of college when I didn't know quite as many people, like my first semester, I hadn't quite made that many friends yet. 
And so I was just like a nervous wreck all the time. So my feelings were nervous anticipation, um, restlessness, and just feeling uncomfortable in my own skin. For me, a lot of anxiety, nervousness, although I couldn't tell if that was the imagination or what I was feeling in the moment, just with all the, with this exercise, you know, but I think it's pretty safe to say that as a student that would pretty much met, you know, fit me anxious, nervous, a sensation in my gut wanting to kind of be small and hide that that's pretty accurate to me as a student. And it was interesting as I went to high school, I, mm. I pictured myself in my, you imagined high school. actually, no, as a few things went through my mind. One of them was the high school I work at and I pictured those kids and then mm. The high school I used to go to and picture those kids, much different set of kids. And then I went to a little bit of college. And so like these things, a whole bunch of stuff like went through my mind, right? I don't know what started where, but, but I, I settled on high school that that felt like the right place. So I settled there. So the second set of questions, um, were about the students as they're settling and telling jokes and talking so that there I gave you a little bit of context. I said, what do your peers look like? So I put you in the student role and then what do your peers look like and what are they talking about and what kind of jokes are you overhearing? So this is the one, so I'll, I'll tell you guys what I wrote down, but this is the one where Justin was saying, like he asked about the age. Mm -hmm. And so when Justin asked about that and then I thought of high school, my answers would be totally different. So I don't know if you want to hear those answers, but what I said yes. is, um, I just, <laughs> I said, um, I said, they look like me, which like for me, that means like lots of different looking people, like lots of different like um, races because I'm multiracial all in one. I don't know what that means. And then as far as like the jokes they were telling, I wrote that the, the, a lot of them were strangers and a few of them were some people I know. Cause again, I was kind of imagining myself in my first year of college when I didn't quite know as many people. Um, so there's a lot of strangers there and the jokes they were telling were lots of inside jokes that I didn't understand. Mm. So just feeling like separate. I definitely have the feeling of separate. Um, there, so my initial thought was, again, I kind of pictured the kids that I work with, which are a big mix, but not very many white kids in the, in the school, in our school system, not very many white kids. But then I also went to my high school, which was mostly white kids. And there were a few non-white kids, but majority white kids, right? So I had these kind of like dual um, images in mind. But I settled on the high school one and the story of like, this uh, total just typical jock jack water polo guy. I went to a school where they played water polo. <laughs> Sorry, I've never heard about that in high school, so that's really funny. What water polo? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I think it says a lot. I was not, the look. There's, school. I think you'd be really surprised at my high school experience and where I went, and whatever. But they're also in this in this image. There were kids talking about like games and stupid high school stuff, and you know what they're into and who's doing what and gossip, and so all that was going on around me. But there was definitely me, like not a part of that. Just sort of listening in. Yeah, and that that go ahead, Karina. I was gonna say that is sort of how this student felt <laughs> when I walked into the room. Everyone else was connecting and socializing, and this one student was clearly in their own bubble, sort of hunched over a little bit. And 
I actually noticed him as soon as I walked into the room because every he he was sort of out of place given everything else in the environment. I said I would give you my my other experience that I thought of after the age question. So I um, I thought of high school and I went to a high school. It was a private high school, and so. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like we've talked about this before. I forget stuff, so we may have. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> um, so I went to a private high school and I do not, uh, I'm trying to, I don't want to like give away too many details in case like all my former high school classmates are listening, <laughs> obviously. Um, <laughs> but it was a, it was, it's, um, I live in an area where there's some families of money. And I do not come from a family of money. Like we, my mom, it was a, a very big deal for my mom, to, for my sister and I to go to private school because that's what she Dude, did. It's like um, we have the same story. It's crazy, Mercedes. I, I know. This can't be I'm sorry. Anymore. Like every now and then I'm just like shocked at the parallel of our lives. I'm, I'm sorry. Go. Wow. Yes. So, <laughs> so my sister and I went to private school, but it was very much like, um, you know, scrounging for tuition money. And um, cutting corners wherever we could as like as far as family income and stuff, because we, you know, we had to pay the tuition. So I I had always felt out of my element and never more so than in high school. I went to private school my whole life, but high school is just a whole different world. And so when I was thinking about your questions in the context of high school, there was I always, always, always had a sense of like otherness in high school. Like I was Mm -hmm. the other because I was this little brown girl who had slightly raggedy clothes and all these rich kids. And I mean, like, let me be clear, rich white kids. And these are like names that you guys would recognize, like people in industries in this area that of, yeah. of, of names that you would recognize, like they're, you know, winery owners and clothing store owners and um, lots yeah. of stuff. And so I always felt very, separate and distant from that and even though we were in the same room I felt so like just completely far and away nowhere near able to reach where they were at and so a lot of the conversations and just so you guys know like I don't want you to think of poor Mercedes a little sad sack I had my great group of friends always (laughs) but (laughs) The other thing is I was always also in the um, like the honors classes. And so not all of my friends were in there. So I had less like fewer safe people. And um, so I would listen to the other conversations and it was like, oh, well, we went on, you know, just a quick weekend trip to Hawaii or, you know, I went to Sweden over the summer. And it was like, what are you talking about? My dream was to have like a pool. (laughs) to jump yeah. into, yeah. you know, oh, man. so, <laughs> and you met that <laughs> dream. I did. I did look, don't get me started on all that. But, um, yeah. So the questions were like, what do they look like? They don't look like me. Um, I was one of very few minorities in that setting. Um, I can think of maybe, maybe there was like a handful, a literal handful, like five other students in my, in my like peer, not peer group, but like cohort, I guess Mm -hmm. that were minorities and it wasn't a big school, but the point is it was still approximately like a 2%, 1% thing. So nobody looked like me. And, um, and the things that they were talking about, the jokes that they were talking about, I didn't understand them because it was either look at how much money I have and we can all Mm -hmm. relate to that 
or, um, oh, we did this this weekend and it was super stupid, but we think it's awesome. <laughs> and so super unrelatable to me. So that was... I relate to you, Mercedes. Thank you, Justin. Everything you just said, except for the skin color, I'm like, oh my gosh, my story. Right. <laughs> I'm like, it is interesting that on that la- on that level, I, I don't quite get it, but on the on the level of how I dressed and all the mm-hmm. kids I w- that went to my school, it was an all boys high school. Oh wow! Very all boys high school, Jesuit, very rich people there, right? Big fam- big name families from uh, the Bay Area, and my parents always put my brothers and I in positions to where we could see what we don't have. And so they would put us in private schools, but then we'd have to do something called tuition aid where we work off the tuition. So mm-hmm. I'm there answering phones like hella late at night in the, in the, uh, what do they call it? The, uh, the priest's quarters while oh, everyone else is like rectory It's not a rectory, but you get the idea. Like I'm there, yeah. you know, working off the tuition aid while everyone else is at home in their pool and, yeah, you know, right. and they're, they're literally driving to work in BMWs, which the staff yes. didn't have <laughs> and I'm driving yes. up in my Ford tempo that my rich aunt passed down to my brother who then passed it down to me. And it's like 15 years old. Hey, Ford tempo. Hey. So, <laughs> Mine so was it's a like, prism. we'll just throw that out there. Yes, hey. yes. They don't even exist anymore. <laughs> I love that. I wanted one. I remember I wanted one when I was younger. <laughs> it is, it's, it's interesting though. Like on every level, I'm like, yeah, I'm with you. And then the skin color, like mm-hmm. I don't, I don't quite get that. Yeah, I w- when yeah. I was listening to Mercedes, I was really relating to. So I I also went to a predominantly white high school, and we did have, for where we were located, we did have some diversity because we're right next to a military base. So that brought in families who were different than the greater rural area. But in the honors classes, I was like one of two, maybe if I was lucky people of color, period, but usually um, the only person who could identify as black at all. And so that was always really interesting because I feel like, I don't know, kind of like you were saying, the stories didn't really hit me the way, you know, I was like, oh, that's really different than how I spent my weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, We also, we, I mean, we were strapped for cash we were lucky, I think, because my dad's military career was pretty stable, but he wasn't high ranking at all. So, mm. you know, there were things that we didn't have that people in our neighborhood had. Mm. And definitely at school, people outside of our neighborhood were, you know, having a totally different experience. So while I was listening to you, Mercedes, I was like, yeah, I can relate to that a lot because I had a similar story, too. Interesting. That was question number two. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> Question <Number> three. three. <laughs> that this one was, what is your dream profession? So, trying to give you the chance to put context to this, something that would make this, like, I really want to do well. I want this career. So, what is your dream profession? I wrote helping kids. I always wanted to work with kids, and as I was growing up, I thought the only way that that could happen was to be a teacher. So, I wrote that down too. Um, I didn't discover counseling and therapy until after, after I had graduated. Uh, yeah, actually, actually, after I had graduated undergrad, cause I was working for a nonprofit agency as a case manager. And then I was like, Oh, what are they, what are those people doing? The clinicians, what is a clinician? I want to do that. 
And so, and yeah, but what I originally wanted to do was help kids. I just put artist. <laughs> Very Fair literal. Enough. Very literal. Okay. Justin in high school. Okay. I want to be an artist. That was, that's, that was it. Okay. All right. Then the next questions were after the two people walked into wait, the classroom. No, wait, what, did you, what, what was your answer, Karina? Oh, what it was my dream profession? Yeah. Um, actually, in high school, I believed that I wanted to be a psychologist. I this is so this tells you about where my my hometown is. So my I went to a counselor when I was 13 for just like symptoms of anxiety, and um, she actually became my Psych 101 and 102 teacher in high school because I took. Mm-hmm. AP classes from from college and she also taught at a local community college that had this partnership with our high school so she was an awesome counselor I I totally give her credit for why I became a counselor because she helped me so much and and then when I saw her in the classroom she did warn me that like we might see each other at school Um, but the way that she taught and the way that she was just so engaged with their students and everything about it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I want to do. Like, I want to be Dr. Morgan, basically. And I became Dr. Morgan. She literally became my mentor and I went through the same master's and doc program that she went through. Wow, that's cool. Shout out to Dr. Morgan. a remedial class. You Nuh-uh. guys were in an AP class? I was in a remedial Spanish, yes. Stop. Okay, but any other remedial classes? No, that was it. Okay, no. well, you're making but, it sound I, but like... But I was a consistent <laughs> C student. No AP stuff. It was... Because my mindset was like, we're all going to graduate. Why am I going to put more work into this? <laughs> and I was like, well, maybe I want to be valedictorian. I'm like, ah, only one person out of the, you know, a few hundred. Probably not going to happen. I'm just going to pass the classes. <laughs> So I did the minimum. Wow. <laughs> I did that my senior year. I will say that, but yeah. I love school. I just, I mean, oh, since dang. kindergarten, I had an amazing kindergarten teacher and that's why yeah. I think I stayed in school wow. forever. So when I actually finished my doc program, I had a, like a crisis because I was like, I am no longer a student. I've been a student my whole life. I don't know what to do. Um, I had that when I graduated from with with my master's i i gave some serious thought to a doctorate and i said well let's work on these student loans first mm-hmm. um but yeah i love school i love it i still remember my kindergarten teacher's name you were mentioning kindergarten oh man mrs moore she was my kindergarten and first grade teacher i remember nobody oh that's sad <laughs> mr preciado was my art teacher he was he was actually really mr preciado he was awesome beyond that nothing <laughs> my kindergarten it. teacher Funny. was mrs monahan and i loved her um she actually we stayed after school together and she helped me write a book called mickey mouse goes to the zoo and that's why i oh, loved her that's so cute yes oh my gosh i love that it was shaped like mickey mouse's head the book was <laughs> do you still have that somewhere no i wish i did my parents were terrible about throwing things away so <laughs> They throw things yeah. away, you mean? Like yeah, they my throw t- things. Oh, okay. Throw my things mom away, saves yeah. everything. Yeah, so my mom she, too. She th- keeps everything. My mom keeps. I don't yeah. want to say everything, but my I, like all every now and then I'll come across like. And who, what? Yeah. What did I just find? Something from like fourth grade, and it was like yeah. a report 
about Egypt. Yes. And it was typewritten. Yes. So that's how old I am. Ditto. Yeah. <laughs> she, she's like, I found this windshield to the Batmobile, which was from when I was like 10. I'm like, Mom, I'm good. <laughs> sure you don't want this? I'm good, Mom. All right. So we had, uh, that was question three. Okay. Now we get, now we get, to, it's already been interesting, but now we get to the meat of it here. Question four. Yes. So the two people walk into the classroom and you finally get to see your instructor. So uh, what does the instructor look like? Who is this other person? And what does this other person look like? Okay. So I wrote um, the instructor, the professor is an older white man. And the other person is a student. He's young for some male. And for some reason he's wearing glasses. That's what I wrote down. Does he have a beard? <laughs> he does not have a beard. No, I'm picturing black hair. Oh, not bald. All right. So I had, so at first you'd ask about you, Justin, it's what? <laughs> All right. What's your well, answer? Go ahead. News to me. <laughs> So the first one is, um, <laughs> people have called me egotistical on the podcast. I have to take that out because here I am like joking about how the world revolves around me. <laughs> uh, so funny. Okay. All right. So you, the, first you said two people walk in. I pictured a white woman and she kind of looked like what you described. And then I pictured a black man and he was taller than her. And that's about as far as I had gotten. And then okay. you, I think you had asked, um, who was the teacher? And the black man for me was the teacher. All right. So should we go into the next question? Yes. Yes. So I yes. described both of the people. They were an older white female and, and um, a younger black female. And I described their dress. And then I asked you, who is the instructor? I said the young black female. Here's why. Because the older female was more nervous. You described her as more nervous than the young black female. And if I'm being completely honest, it was their clothes. Because mm. if you're wearing a cute blue dress and matching blue jewelry, then you're getting ready to be awesome. Yes. <laughs> I'll I take that. that means. That's really <laughs> what right. I thought. That's, really that, that's not where my one was. <laughs> no idea what you're talking about. That was an important detail that she put in there. The you know it's when you said the clothing I'm like all right she got clothes on all right <laughs> <You know what? laughs> they're not naked when do you remember <laughs> I even asked I asked her to repeat what clothes the older lady right. had on because mm -hmm. but I, but I didn't stop to picture I'm like okay clothes good got it. <laughs> <laughs> and then like you said a bob and like she pointed that out so it must be significant but I didn't, I couldn't picture it but anyhow. So for me, the black woman was the teacher. And I was imagining the, um, the older white woman as like the principal escorting her in to introduce her to the class. That was the story I had in my mind. Did your answers change after the older woman took a seat and dug around in her bag or that the younger female stood in front of the classroom? Mine changed. No, mine did not change. For me, those extra, that extra information was just further confirmation. That really? was right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for me, it was a role thing. When the white woman went to sit down, I was imagining her going to the. Actually, I don't know if you mentioned this, but I imagined her going to the teacher's desk, and that she oh, was starting. I didn't say that. Did you say where she sat down at all? 
No, I just said okay, she so, takes a seat and digs around in her bag retrieving a book. So I imagine her going to the desk and but the role switched. So now I'm picturing the younger black woman standing and supervising. So now I'm like, oh, she's the principal. So for me, it was a role thing. And to see her like imagining her like overseeing the classroom or overseeing maybe this teacher's first day or maybe she's come back because she got in trouble or something like that. And we got to make sure she's doing a good job. So the, it was a role thing for me. And I imagine her going to the teacher's desk and pulling out her teacher's equipment. Materials. <laughs> Materials. Stuff. <laughs> so the last thing I just said was that you noticed them both, you sized them up, and then I asked you again who is the instructor. So same answer for Dang. me. Like everything after I'm telling you, the blue dress with the matching jewelry, like that hooked me in. Because to me that that speaks to a person who is preparing themselves to put forward like to put their best foot forward mm-hmm. and you describe the white the white lady as um like in my head she looked really nice like she looked kind of glamorous there was kind of like this light shining down on her like oh look how awesome <laughs> I am but but she was wearing jeans and I was thinking maybe she just maybe she just likes to wear her bling but the the blue dress and the matching jewelry and then she stood in front of the classroom and she smiled at the class she's getting ready to be awesome what was the prompt for the, the last question um, you notice them both, you size them up. Who is the instructor? It switched to me. And now I went back to the, the black woman being the instructor. Like the role switched again and I have no idea why, but I'm like, oh, okay. She's the instructor. So when I was listening to your answers, I think it was interesting because the, you, you all created a story about the questions that, and I sort of created a story, parts of it for you too, but I wonder, and I don't know, I was trying to sort of amp up the sympathetic energy a little bit because this student clearly felt anxious when he finally did speak to me. And so I was trying to amp up in my imagery and the questions that I posed and the thoughts that I put into your mind, that sympathetic energy. So you could maybe, I don't know, tell yourself stories that were related to that state. So that's sort of where I came to all of this. And I thought it was interesting because Mercedes, at one point you said that like the jokes or what the people were sharing didn't include you. And I know for me, when I drop down the ladder, one of my things in sympathetic is like, I don't belong or this, this world is not for me Mm -hmm. so it was just I was kind of listening sort of with an ear of like what are the stories that you're telling yourselves about the situation and curious how state tied into that I think for sure that was my experience like again just putting myself there that was definitely my experience a lot of the time I think partly because I have an anxious nature and Mm so like I live a lot down like down the ladder but also because of my specific experience going to private school my whole life and being one of extremely few minority and, and I'm including everybody, Asians, blacks, mm-hmm. Hispanics, like, and like everybody non-white. And, and I was always, always a part of very few non-white kids. And so it always felt, and, and there was other, you know, socioeconomic status and lots of other things that went along with it, but there was always that feeling for me 
that I didn't belong. And, and in my, in my mind as a kid and growing up, there was very um, concrete proof that it was a fact, that it was true. And so that's something that I don't think I still have, I still haven't shaken that. I don't think I, it's something I experience a lot less than I used to. I think college was super helpful for me in that because when I got to college, there was so many more people that looked like me. And that was actually one of the things, one of your questions I said, uh, your second question, you said, what do they look like? I said, they look like me. Mm-hmm. Um, because it in college, that was really, it, it felt, I'm trying to find the right word. Like it was almost like a release. Like I didn't feel so other anymore, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, I, I think, that is something that's common for me personally is living down the ladder and feeling separate from the other people that are around me. Did you go to uh, college locally? I went to college. I'm pretty sure I knew some of your classmates, actually. I went to Santa Clara University. Oh, Broncos. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and that is in the vicinity, I think, of your because we. Ta- I don't want to sound like a creeper. I just I do remember things. I don't unlike some people. So I remember what school you went to and I remember having met people that had been to your school. Um, Anyway, that's beside the point, but yeah, I went to Santa Clara university. So there was a a big population of Hispanic people there. There was lots of African-American people there. There was lots of Asian people there. Like it was just completely different for me. There was lots of white people also, but it was like a really balanced mix. And that felt, um, it felt really relieving like I felt a lot of relief mm-hmm. in that. Like I could let go of, I don't even know what I'd have to think about it, but I, it felt like I was always holding on to like, keep it together. You have to put on the right face and you have to say the right words. And then when I got to college, I felt like I could let go of a lot of that. Cause I could be myself. Yeah. I had a, I kind of had a similar experience. <clears throat> I, um, so I went to college only 30 minutes away from where I grew up, but it was drastically different. So I went to Virginia Commonwealth uh, University that's in Richmond, Virginia. And same thing like you, it was super diverse, very balanced. Um, You could easily hear two or three foreign languages being spoken on your way to class. Like it just felt so relieving. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm home. Like I can be myself, everyone can be themselves, is how I sort of experienced it, except for in my dorm. My freshman dorm, it was very much us versus them in terms of the white girls and the black girls or the people that they perceived as black. So that was really interesting for me. You know, obviously that wasn't the rule, but I mean, there were a few people who didn't go in that direction but there were there was a lot of tension and our RA was also a black female so that she got a lot of she got targeted a lot by some of the stuff that people were working out I mean I think we all went to college with our stuff and for some people the diversity was great and for other people it was like this is really knocking me off kilter I mean at one one I remember one one woman on my floor literally screaming I used to live at the end of a field what is this like you know she's in the middle of a city now she's like screaming she's like I lived in a field I literally lived in a field and she was not there very long after that she packed up her stuff and left 
So I think there was lo- there were lots of things that were going on, I think, for her um, and for others that I think people don't talk about that transition to college enough and how that really yeah. that door just swings wide open. You think, you know, the world and then all of a sudden it's like, mm-hmm. well, there's so many different things that are happening at that time in your life. Like for most people, you're living on your own for the first time. You don't have that safety net of your parents or siblings mm-hmm. or whoever. Um for the most part, I know some people, you know, live at home and go to college, but um, I think there's so many things happening at the same time. I remember, I don't know why I thought of this while you were talking, but I remember like my pendulum kind of swinging way the other way. My husband, who was not my husband at the time, we met at college. My boyfriend at the time, he would talk about culture shock, that I was going through culture shock. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I, Cause my, like I said, like my pendulum swung the other way and I had a lot of resentment built up towards white kids, white people. And so I wouldn't hang out with anybody at almost, almost at all. I specifically remember this one girl that I worked with who was very classically Caucasian, like very pale, light skin, blonde hair, blue eyes, gorgeous. And it, I remember she was very much a conundrum in my head cause she very much represented everything that I struggled against. Uh, in within myself and and she kind of was everything that I had experienced in high school as far as the people because I think her family was well off. I assume her family was well off because they had um, she invited me and a couple friends to her house her parents house in the Santa Cruz Hills once and it was gorgeous but the way I met her was that we worked at Jamba Juice at the same time we had a Jamba Juice on campus I had you know I had to have three jobs because I had to help my parents pay tuition, but she worked. And I'm like, why are you working if this is where you live? But anyway, um, for the most part, I had like, I just had this huge resentment towards white people. And I did not want to relate to anybody that was white for a long time in college. Cause it was just like, like you, like you have made me feel this way. And now I don't want to have anything to do with you. Probably by my senior year, I was kind of a little balanced out again, but it was a really weird experience, the culture shock. I'm trying to decide if I want to, sh- I was going to try to decide if I wanted to share this or not. Um, yeah, I can always edit out whatever you want. So I'll just, I'll, okay, so I'll share it with you all and then I'll see what I think. But for okay. me, college was, so in high school too, this is true for me. I found people that didn't really fit into any kind of group and so we sort of banded together and I think in Mm. college I did that too um so my friend group has always been pretty diverse but I had a lot of issues with my dad growing up and so and my dad is black so I like rejected all things black because of my relationship with him and at the time, obviously, I didn't know this, I can say this now, but I think I really internalized some of the messages that were taught to me by society and whatever else that being black was not okay. And that and I worked really hard to prove to myself and everyone else that I was different than black people. I think that was still true in college. So I didn't really I hung out with biracial people who were half black. I hung out with Persian people. I hung out with Indian people, French people, but I didn't really hang out. Like there was nobody who was fully black, like in my friend circle. 
in high school, that was mostly true too. I did have a couple of friends who were fully black, but I had to like work to really think about why, why was I not really attracted to black men? Why did I not really have that many black friends? And like, so a lot of the stuff that's bubbling up right now in our social society, I guess, um, is still like a reminder to me that like, while everyone is saying that white people have a lot of work to do, like I had a ton of work to do before Mm. I could like really realize that I had bought into some of these narratives too, Mm. that it wasn't okay to be black, that my hair needed to be straight as I don't know what, um, that I didn't want to tan my skin because I didn't want to become darker, um, that I, I refused to go on dates with black men, you know, all of these things that was happening and it was a process. And I don't even know that I was aware of the process as it was happening. I think I can look back now and see, and it coincided with my relationship with my dad shifting and getting better. Wow. Hmm. I have nothing of substance to add to this. (laughs) My God, <laughs> I'm just like taking it in, and I'm I'm shocked to hear these things because you you know I never hear these things at least personally. You know, mm-hmm. like you said, there's a lot yeah. of focus on what white people and have to do and whatnot. But I'm like, oh wow, that was your personal experience. That's mm-hmm. definitely a new wrinkle in the whole this whole race topic. You know? Yeah, I think it's. I mean, yeah, I think it's really true. More more things come up. I'm afraid to make it like a Karina Mercedes conversation, but more things come up for me as Karina as you were talking. Just similar things. Like, I'll try and be quick, Justin. I'm not, dude. I'm not. I'm not rushing. <laughs> no, I know. I, I, just, I don't want to like no. belabor the point. But um, yeah. Like I, I went through a, a similar thing, not to that degree, but um, there was definitely a phase in my life where I did not want people to know I spoke Spanish. I did not want people to know that my regular meals, my dinner every single day included rice and beans and tortillas every day. I didn't want people to know that. Um, And so there was a phase in my life where I, in my head, I think of it as almost losing my Spanish. I, I spoke very little Spanish. It was very difficult for my mom, my mom for, I should say both my parents, but my mom, especially um, put a lot of work. She would say, I can't understand you when I would speak English to her. My mom is fully bilingual. She completely understands English, but she would act as if she didn't to encourage me to speak Spanish. But there was a minute in my life where I, I, if I hadn't gone, when I went to college, I double majored in Spanish. So I took lots of Spanish classes. And, and again, like I had in high school, I had kind of rejected that part of me because I was trying to fit in and I wanted to be like everybody else. Um, But then when I got to college, it was the complete shift the other way where there was all these brown kids just like me and not just brown kids, but obviously those are the ones that I related to. And um, they spoke Spanish and they spoke Spanish during, you know, fun personal leisure time. Like it wasn't like a requirement. It wasn't we weren't talking to our parents at the time. It was something they wanted to do. And I remember like I was able to reconnect with that with the cult like that culture piece of myself. But for a long time, there was a lot of like large parts of me and my life, not just within me as a person, but within my family and cultural traditions and stuff that I didn't, I didn't want people to know. And I don't want to say that I rejected it necessarily because I couldn't, because I had to go home and speak Spanish. And 
my grandma only spoke Spanish and she lived with us for a while. And I had rice and beans and tortillas every single day of my life until I moved out, you know, but I hid it. I hid that from people Um, because when everybody else is having steak dinners and, you know, going to Hawaii and what, you know, whatever, like, yeah, I wanted to be as close to that as I could be. So yeah, there is that. And the whole, the like skin color thing. I always remember, remember this from my grandma. She would, um, even up until pretty recently, now that I think about it, she would always tell us to stay out of the sun. My sister and I stay out of the sun. You're going to get so dark. And I was like eight, nine, like little kid, like little at the time. And she'd be like, come out of the sun. You don't want to play too long in the sun. But I'm like, grandma, I just want you know, I want to play. We lived on a court. So like we could just spend all day long outside and just like all the kids in the neighborhood would like make baseball diamonds on the, like out of chalk and like just play all day. Kids Come out of the sun. Yeah. Um, and I, and I'm saying that it happened until recently. Cause I remember her saying that about my kids um, when yeah. I had my kids. Yeah. Keep them out of the sun. You don't want them to get too dark. And my husband is a little darker. Like he's, he's Mexican and he's a little darker skin. Like he's very um, like, um, I don't, I don't know how to say it properly. Native American looking like um, Aztec, like darker chocolate brown. And so my kids are like a mix between the two of us. I'm a little lighter. He's a little darker. And my kids are kind of in between. And my grandma would say things like, they're already darker than you are. You don't want to, you don't want them to get darker than that. And I'm like, grandma, chill out. <laughs> like it is not a thing. It, I'm going to let my kids play. And if they want to play in the sun, they're going to play in the sun. But that's, yeah, that's a, a big thing too. Yeah. As you were talking, I realized that something else that I did is that I gravitated to people who also had immigrant parents. And I don't think I had that realization until just now. So it was really important for me as I was denying my black side to like embrace the fact that I also wasn't white American. Like I was like I wasn't the people that were in my high school that were super rural and I don't know, conservative, but so somehow, I mean, because we had a military base, there were tons of kids in my school that had immigrant parents. So whether that was, you know, Korean or other German folks or from African countries or whatever, I always led with like my, like my, introduction to people was always about like German this German that well my mom's German and it was like I had to prove like I was proving something like in multiple ways I think it was like I'm not as brown as you think I am (laughs) um yeah and, and also like um but I'm not like the white people that live here like so so it was this weird I don't know living in between the worlds I guess is how I would Mm -hmm say it. I never felt fully black enough to hang out with black kids. I never felt fully white enough to hang out with white kids. And so I just, like I said, I gravitated towards people who also didn't belong in those dichotomies. And yeah, I think it's interesting just to think about looking back on that, you know, I wouldn't have been able to verbalize that or say that that was happening, but it's interesting to think about how long those things were and probably still are integrated into my personhood. Mm-hmm. And so when you said that your grandmother recently made that comment, I'm like, I wonder if I do or say anything that is still 
reminiscent of my old habits or my old patterns or what I was trying to prove then. Yeah. I think now you're making me think too. I, I don't know that I have any of those because I've, I feel like, like I said, like I was losing my Spanish and all of that. It, um, after college, during college, I kind of reconnected with that part, like the brown side of myself. Not that I have a white side because I'm complete 100% brown. Both my parents are from Nicaragua. That was that was another thing is what? What is that? Where are your parents from? It was you were saying about immigrant parents like it was so weird that my parents were from a different country and not just a different country, but a country that nobody has heard of. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so um, what was I saying? I was saying um, reconnecting with like who I am culturally that happened in college. And then afterwards I had the experience of being, um, I want to say rewarded. I, I don't know. That doesn't feel like the right word, but praise celebrated, celebrated for having that. I think because I found, um, I immediately straight out of college, I got, I found a job. I mentioned it before in, in nonprofit um, where the fact that I was bilingual was extremely valuable. And then as I became, yeah, well, and exactly. See, and even you saying that right now, like as I moved on and, and up and I, and I went to um, my master's program and I graduated with a master's degree and then I was a bilingual clinician that was valued and people would seek that out and, you know, job interviews and stuff like, Oh, you speak two languages. Oh, you speak Spanish. We need that. And so there was, there, I, I kind of had that flip experience where what I was culturally was now celebrated. And I, I think that did a lot to kind of relieve a lot of the sting that had come from rejecting that side of myself before. So that was, that was a pretty cool experience. I don't, so all of that to say that I don't know if I have my own things that I like old habits because I, w- I kind of was able to kind of flip the coin. And so I think that was really helpful for me. Yeah. I would like to think that I don't have old habits, but I mean. But you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. Exactly. I appreciate both of you letting me listen in. Um, it's not stuff you get to hear about typically. Yeah. It doesn't come up a lot, you know? Why is this different? Why is this different today, right now? Yeah, why is it coming up now? Why is this? Why don't we hear about this otherwise? I mean, the easy answer is that this is the point of us getting together and talking, right? That's the easy answer. I think um, for me, the more complicated answer is like, I, I'm thinking of, of you and I, Justin, your relationship and mine. We haven't known each other that that long couple years now but um I you know I feel like we're we're pretty close we know each other pretty well yeah you know like you're a white dude like when does it come up I guess like you know what I mean like it's it's true it's um I don't know what there's it's such a there's a lot of emotional charge in that and it's not like you and I specifically like I'm sure that you would be open about it and you'd be like oh yeah cool let me hear about it yeah but um, in in general society, I don't know that people come across safe listeners that are white male or white, whoever, you know, 
it's 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 just one of those awkward things like hey would you like to hear about my cultural experience <laughs> you know like it just doesn't come yeah. up yeah i think um the safety point is really key cuz i don't know i mean i have a lot of white people in my life half of my family is white um and i don't know that i've ever even talked to them about my experiences um and they and that they feel like safe people especially my my aunt and cousins like i feel like but there's never been a context where it felt like okay we're going to talk about this i think my mom right. probably talks with my aunt a lot about her experience raising biracial children and seeing the world through the eyes of her kids but there hasn't been a whole lot of conversation about that. And, and even with the black side of my family, I don't think we've really talked about our experiences much either. Mostly when I talk about this stuff, it's with friends that I've built a close relationship with. Right. Or like sometimes when I, before I got married, when I was dating, like to feel people out, like, are you cool? Like, can we have these kinds of conversations? And, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, so I think it just doesn't come up because safety is required. And also it's like, how do you ease into a conversation like that? Like where, I don't know. It's like, where, where does that fit into mm-hmm. regular conversation? Yeah. Exactly. Right. right. I think an- another point for me is, and I don't know, cut me off if I start rambling, but another point for me is um, that I've had one situation comes to mind where I thought I was with safe people and I'm, I don't know how to describe it because it, it was in high school. And, and again, I went to a predominantly white high school. So my friends were, I can't even think of one person that I had, that I was friends with that was not white. I'm literally, after we're done, I'm literally going to go back to my yearbook and like search. But, um, I had a friend, um, and she, she wasn't like with my close friend group. Like I had, a group of friends it was the four of us we were like you know we played basketball together and like we you know hung out and we went you know whatever but she was like a a good friend we were in all the honors classes together we had been for years I went to the same high school all four years and it was our senior year and it was that time where you're applying to college to colleges and I was so excited because um I was so excited I was like over the weekend I got a package from Harvard um, to apply, to apply to Harvard. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so exciting. And, and again, we're all, you know, we're all talking about it together. We're all having the same experience. We're all kind of receiving the same letters from the same colleges. And so I was really excited to share this with her. And I said, hey, look, you know, look, I got this um, package from Harvard. They want me to apply. You know, I'm not sure if I'm going to. It's all the way across the country, whatever, whatever. And she looks at me really funny. And she's like, oh, that's cool. Pretty flat. And I was like, that's weird. I said, oh, have you not gotten one? Like she looked, I don't want to say annoyed, but just put off. And so I said, have you not gotten one? I was thinking maybe she's upset. Maybe she didn't get one. Maybe, you know, they weren't going to ask her for that, you know, or, or provide that opportunity for her to go to Harvard um, or to get offered Harvard. And she looks at me and she goes, you know why you got that, right? Oh, no. no, what, what do you mean? I have no idea what you're talking about. She said, come on, you're the only one of us 
that has gotten the package from Harvard. And I said, well, I don't know. Have you like, maybe your mail comes late. Like I'm super oblivious. Like, I don't, are you sure that I'm the only one? She's like, yeah. Cause I've asked around. You're the only one that's gotten a package from Harvard and you know why. I don't know why. Can you please tell me why? I have no idea what you're talking about. And it took her a long, like I had to really coerce her into telling me, she said, it's because you're Hispanic. It's because you'll, you'll help their numbers in the minority category. And it just like blindsided me because I had spent so many years trying to fit in and trying to be like them and trying to do everything I could possibly do to, 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 to be, to, to, to be like them. And then it just get it, it. And like, I guess I'm saying that because like, it, it isn't something I think about, you know, like I, it, it was, I didn't have these blatant, like racist experiences. I didn't have people calling me names or different things. I, I didn't know that it was something that was on people's minds until this thing like blindsides me. And I'm like, holy crap. Like there's nothing I can do. I'm just different. And like, it is, it is what it is. It's not something I had thought about. And from then on for the rest of my time in high school, that was always at the front of my mind. What else have I gotten that I didn't deserve? Am I here because I don't deserve it? It, Is it true that I deserve these grades? Am I, and just so you guys know, like I was able to justify for myself. I was, I was pretty good in school. Like I did my work. I didn't just slide by like certain people. Um, And I loved learning and I loved, you know, working and it was my parents' expectation that I did good anyway. um, So I, I felt comfortable in the fact that I did earn my place at the school and in those classes and everything, but it was still something that was always there. Like, I never know when this is going to come up for somebody. And it, and so going back to what we were originally talking about for, as far as safety, this is a person I felt safe with. This is a person I considered a good friend. Uh, This is a person that we would giggle about boys about, you know, together and like, Oh my gosh, she's so cute. And let's spend time together over the weekend and whatever, whatever. And, you know, just girl talk and fun stuff and like, let's do homework together. And I felt safe and I felt accepted and it just like slapped me in the face. And after that, if it, if I was, if I was in a place, like it just in a space with someone who was white, that was always at the front of my mind. They see me as different. So as far as bringing it up, because we were talking about why doesn't this come up more, right? So someone like you, Justin, I feel totally safe with you. But I also think that there's a lot to that because we're therapists and we've been trained in the same way and we've been trained to accept people and hear their story and da 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 whatever. But um, not everybody is trained that way. Not everybody has an open mind. And you don't know uh, unless you go to that place with them, unless you have that conversation with them, you truly don't know what they think and how they feel about you and and how different you are than them like you don't know I don't want to take away any of that safety that you feel but um recently I have been wildly disappointed in my friends that are (coughs) and that are counselor educators who are also white and some of the things that they've been saying or doing in response to all of the Black Lives Matter protest and Um, the movement that we're seeing around that. And that has been really hard for me. I feel like, because I think I was in the same spot as you, Mercedes, I think I was thinking, okay, we're therapists, we're trained Mm -hmm. in this, and we teach our students to do these things too. And we 
our we have open conversations with our students about um, how to be inclusive of anyone that walks into their office. And we supposedly do that when people walk into our offices. And then I have these experiences with my friends where I'm like, whoa, clearly you aren't a safe person. You know, clearly right now you feel like you can share these things with me. I'm not really sure why, but they don't fit what I thought of you. And so that has been super, super disappointing to me. And even, I don't know if you all are in any therapist groups on social media, but even some of the things that I've seen there, um, I'm just like, wow, this makes my job even more important. And this, you know, makes the things that I'm already super passionate about even like it gives me more, more fire to Mm -hmm. make sure that we are truly, truly addressing these things. So, so yeah, that just kind of came to mind as you were, you were talking. That's scary to me. Cause I, you know, like you were saying, like you started off by saying you don't want to take away the safety I'm feeling with identifying other peers as therapists, but you're right. Like, you're right. I think that it just further proves what I was saying too. You never know what a person is thinking or what's going on in their heads and that it, it saddens me. It's scary in a sad way because then what are we doing as therapists if we can't accept each other and we can't accept people? And that's one of the fundamental points of, of therapy. And like, well, but, I don't know. Like, so I'll, I'll acknowledge I feel defensive right now. And I, I don't feel like you're attacking me, but it's like, you're talking about white therapists and like, I feel this, like, like I'm part of that group of, you know, mm-hmm. in a way. Right. So I'm like, I feel kind of defensive. So I'm like, well, what's she talking about? Is this what I'm doing? And like my mind's racing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like I have to put that out there. Honestly, is like, you know, that's your, you might be talking about me and like, what are these people saying? And I'm, mm-hmm. it seems like the two of you know what is being said. I'm like, no, but what, what, you know what I mean? So I'm really wondering like specifically what's, what are we talking about here? You know, and I don't expect you to share anything you don't want to, but I, I do feel that like, whoa, hold up. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I appreciate you acknowledging that because I think mm-hmm. that's really important to notice because when obviously like when you feel that bubble up, then it is, are you able to hear what I'm going to say next? Right. You know, are you, are you right. able to, or is the defense going to be big enough to where we can't have a productive conversation? And right. I, I think what has been frustrating for me with the friends that I was referencing is that I can tell that they're becoming defensive and I'm not sure that they're aware of it. And then they ask me for similar questions like you just asked, like what's going Mm. on at work or what did your coworker say or, you know, and then when we discuss it, they, Mm. what has really been missed is they focus on the intention of my coworker or whoever the person is rather than the impact of how that hurt me. And so that has been missed a lot lately, I think. And that has been really disappointing um, because I think for the majority of therapists, we are well-intended, but that doesn't mean that our intentions hit people in the same ways. And so I feel like there has been sort of a blind spot of 
how are my well-intended messages or comments or whatever else impacting my clients, my peers, my coworkers. Gotcha. Yeah, it makes sense. It, I'm both of you. I, I really appreciate you sharing like your personal sides. So I'm like hundred percent listening. I'm, I'm in it. But then when it, the shift for me came when he's, we started talking about white, and it was very blank and it kind of maybe has to be, I don't know, but a very blanket terms, you know? Mm-hmm. And so my mind starts going, like, I feel that sympathetic, like arousal, you know? Yeah. And so my mind starts to wonder mm-hmm. like, well, what's going on? What do they say? What do they mean? And I, I go to that place of like, well, what was their intention? But when it's just on like Karina and how Karina experiences the world, I'm, I'm right there with you. There's no sympathetic activity. But once that like identity piece comes up, I do feel it like, well, hold up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. and it's um it's not an obstacle to like hearing further but but it maybe it is maybe it's a little bit of an obstacle you know maybe for some people it is though it might be for you know no, for for me though it, i can acknowledge it might be an obstacle i wanted to say to that that um i want to i guess i don't know if this helps for you justin but i i I'm a big believer in giving credit where credit is due. And I, I want to acknowledge that I, I heard your story, Karina, and I'm sorry that that's what you've experienced. And on, on, for my story, I, I don't know that I can think of someone that has had that negativity. Maybe I've experienced, maybe I've worked with people that, that are like that, but I, I guess what I want to do is I want to acknowledge that there are some people that I've worked with that are white who are therapists and I don't experience that. So it's a positive thing mm. is what I'm saying. So Justin, specifically you, and and there's a couple other people that we work with that are white, that I've always felt safe with. And I've felt are very open to hearing, I don't know, my side of things or the side, you know, what someone who looks different than them um, yeah. has experienced. So I, I guess I guess I want to acknowledge that not everyone is that way. And we, I think we all need to be open to, I'll speak for myself. I try to be open to hoping for the best, expecting the best of people. And it, it sucks when it happens, but when they, when they let me down and by let me down, I say, you know, it turns out they're a little more close-minded than I hoped or assumed they were. That sucks, but I'm going to assume the best of a person first, but also being, being a person of minority or being a minority person there there's always caution there but but again for you justin like i want to acknowledge that you and the other people that we work with currently i I feel safe like you guys have proven yourselves you know many times in in being safe people and i don't know if that has to do with like the population that we work with the specific area that we're in you said earlier that the kids that we in in the school district that we're in are predominantly non-white yeah you know i don't know but i I, i'm rambling now but the point is there are some people that are okay (laughs) yeah some white people (laughs) yes and i would say i would add to that um yeah i was by no means saying that all white therapists are one way and right my mother is a well-intentioned white woman like i love her to pieces right also i'm married to a white man my husband is a well-intentioned white man Mm-hmm. So I think in a lot of ways, I'm actually more forgiving because I have a context to put that in where others, I don't think necessarily have that context to say, this was their intention. I can forgive that. 
because I think impact is, is so important right. and because impact does the same thing that you were describing, Justin, of having that defense pop up and mm-hmm. do, do we acknowledge that reaction in people? And I guess really that's where some of the disappointment for me lies too, is like, if you can see that you have impacted another person, then will you say, I can take a step back and see, see your perspective in that moment or acknowledge the feelings or acknowledge their story or their experience. Totally. And that's where I got tripped up. Cause when we talk in these, you know, white males, or we talk in blanket terms, I, I was just recognizing like, Oh, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent with Karina right now. You know what I mean? And that's where I want to be. And I, don't, I hope you don't, I'm not trying to like get the two of you to like make me feel better. Please, <laughs> that's not what this is about. <laughs> I'm good, but I do. You know, is rather than just nodding along, I, I want. I felt like just out of respect, I should say like, look, there's some. I feel this sympathetic activity right now. I'm kind of losing my hold onto your experience and like who you are as a person. Yeah. And so I, I just thought that'd be the best way to do it. I'm fine. Don't make me feel better. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> but but I, you're you, both of you and Mercedes. I've learned like ton about you and what your life has been like and I, I so value that and I hope you know that and feel that you know so it's not like I'm sitting here being defensive I'm really taking it all in but when that demographic stuff comes up I'm like yeah that does that does come up for me that defensiveness mm-hmm. or at least the feeling of like having to defend myself yeah that makes sense though I mean, if we want to put a polyvagal lens on it right mm. you were able to to pause and say, I dropped down the ladder a little bit. Like I'm losing your story. I'm losing your experience. And who knows what the story was that you were telling yourself, but you were able to separate from that story at least enough to acknowledge, wait a minute, something's shifting here. And I think that is often missed in conversations of race or gender or whatever else. Definitely. No, sorry, my son. I'm going to, do you mind if I go get him a snack real quick and come back? Sure. That's fine. I apologize. I'll be right back. <laughs> All right. That's fine. Don't forget the sprinkles. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Hang on. So cute. He is cute. This is awesome. I know. It's good stuff. It is good stuff. I'm glad you guys were able to set this up and then um, I kind of, well, I see it as inviting myself to the party. Justin says that he invited me. Let's just accept both stories. All right. Both things <laughs> I think can it's be really true. cool. Both can, both things can be true. Yeah. Yeah. I just reached out to Justin because I actually reached out to him after Ahmad Arbery was killed. And mm. I just had so much on my mind. I was thinking, I was digging deeper into polyvagal stuff myself and really looking at our curriculum and thinking about how can polyvagal theory be applied to each of our classes. And I got to... Mm-hmm our diversity class. And I really paused and I started to just, just think about, Ooh, like what does polyvagal theory mean here? And I really got stuck on the story follows state stuff. Yes. And like, I couldn't help but to think when I heard about the story, Ahmad's story, what was the story that the two men who murdered him what was that story that they were saying? And then also what was his story in that moment? And like, you know, I think it kind of goes along with the story that I shared about the instructor and the students. And Mm -hmm. it's like, we, we get little snippets of 
experiences and then we our brain like kind of naturally fills in the holes based on our conditioning right based on our own history and experiences yes yes yeah and so um that's when I reached out to Justin and I was just like okay I'm kind of just thinking out loud here and I just like word vomited (laughs) I was like (laughs) this is this is where I'm at with all of this I don't have answers but let's let's chat and he was open to it so so yeah, I've had so many thoughts since then, and of course, things have escalated in our country since then. And, oh, I know. Um, it's so scary, and I, I don't. It's it's so like, it's like this disillusion disillusionment that I feel like I I'm always like a I'm, I tend to be very naive and very idealistic, and let's hope for the best, and everything's gonna be okay, and love conquers all, and you know, and then yeah. this kind of stuff happens, and gosh, it's so horrifying, and it's so difficult to hold on to that, that idealism, yeah. that good will always triumph over evil, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's crazy, but I think as far as, like, the polyvagal stuff, and, and race, civil unrest, we have a coworker that calls it civil what does she call it? Civil unrest. Um, but all this race stuff, I think definitely story follows state is a huge piece of that because if your state started off as defensive flight fight stuff, and then it's just constant, you're constantly there because of the things people tell you then. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like that's, I think like, I'm just thinking about what you said, like what, what was a mod story? What was the men's story? And, and it reminds me often when I think about polyvagal theory, um, for any marginalized group, where do they live on the ladder and mm. how does society shape that based on what we say is normal, what we value, what we say is beautiful, what we say is right. Um, and also sometimes I question, is it appropriate for me to work with all clients to bring them to ventral vagal? Because for some of them, it's not, they don't have space to be safe. Yes. They, you know, it's not, Yes. safety won't actually be safe for them. Um, yes. That's something I had to face. I don't know. I have no concept of time anymore. A, a few months ago, uh, it, it was after the new year and I had, I've been working with, um, a, a young man, he's African-American and, and kind of like what you were saying, like my, my goal has always been, let's get, a, let's get them to the safe place, right? Let's get them to a place where love and sunshine and, you know, I love everybody. And I can't remember what he said to me, but it was something to that effect. Like he said, Miss Mercedes, I can't go into my neighborhood and say, hi, how are you? And be, and smile at people. They're going to think it's weird. And then they're going to attack me. And that blew my mind. Cause I said, what do you mean you can't smile at someone? And he, you know, like I said, I can't remember the details and I'm not going to try just for confidentiality's sake, but something to the effect of if, if you smile at someone in my neighborhood, it means that you're either trying to do something to them or you're trying to, you know, like, I don't know, fake them out or whatever. You're going to rob them later, whatever. Like there's a story behind it and it's, it's just not safe. You know, after doing all this polyvagal work and like smile is safety and da, 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 like that like those two, like I, I had a serious like cognitive dissonance moment. Like, what do you mean smiles are not safe? And in that moment I changed the way I worked with him 
as far as like my, my goal is no longer to get you to a safe place. My goal is to help you understand what a safe place looks like and feels like, what a safe person looks like and feels like. And then you can make the decision of when it's an appropriate time to be that. Yeah. But otherwise you have to do what you have to do. I make it explicitly clear that this might be something you feel right now in the moment, but you can turn it right back off when you leave here. If it's not really conducted to your home environment or school environment, like it just doesn't make sense mm-hmm. to do those yeah. things. So, but now we know what it feels like. Now you've experienced it and we can do it again next week, but it's something, you know? So Karina, mm-hmm. I want to acknowledge, so I, I know my defensive feeling came up and I shared it. Did I get you off track with what you were trying to say or did, were you able to like uh, wrap up that thought? a good question i don't even remember what i was talking about (laughs) i don't think white male therapist peers and they were not listening to you and getting your experience so i want you to know i'm good if you're in a place to share i'm in a place to listen i'm good and i appreciate you letting me put that out there and be transparent about where i was at so it's interesting because i never gendered the people but they have all been female actually you didn't Um, get out oh see (laughs) See how we do it. Oh, that's interesting. You're safe. That is interesting. Um, but yes, I did finish my I did finish my thought. Um, Oh, so I'm in the clear. I'm good. All right. You're good. (laughs) You're fine. Personally, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, Karina. I'm sorry. It's it's white women. That's That's interesting, though, isn't it? Like I filled that in. I filled that in. I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's the story. No, I was just making a joke, but when you stepped away, I was talking with Mercedes about how this conversation came to be and what came up for me um, after Ahmad Arbery died and how I was going through our curriculum to see where polyvagal theory could be infused. And uh, that story follow state thing was like on my mind real heavy when I reached out to you and I, I shared with Mercedes that I was left really wondering what was the story that the two men who murdered him, what was their story that they were telling totally. themselves? Um, and also what was his story in that moment? Totally. totally. I, I don't know if it's ethically appropriate to like speculate, but I want, I want to, mm. but I don't know if we can speculate on a specific person's thoughts and psychology, you know, Yeah. but no, I'm a hundred percent with you. And I, well, we know a little bit about the story because it came out later on that the guy who pulled the trigger, he flat out said some like very racist things. Yeah. So we know a little bit of a story, um, but there's probably a lot more pieces that unfolded the whole way through that. Yeah. I would love to have some access to that and we can speculate, yeah. but I don't want to get my license taken away. So <laughs> here, yeah, here, yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> oh, shoot. It's making me think, um, sorry, sorry. I, fell over. I rock back and forth when I get excited and I almost fell over. Sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, it makes me think of, for some reason, this conversation is making me think of um, a couple things. Um, it's a, have you guys seen, it's an old movie, old, um, American History X. Yeah. Yes. Do you remember that? It's an yep. older movie, I remember but I remember. one part from that, yeah. Mm, I don't know There's if that's like the same one, part I'm thinking of, but. The, what's it called? The stomping, the head stomping thing? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh my that. gosh, yes. Ugh. Yes. Yeah. I, I remember watching that and thinking, cause I've always been like, racism has always been something in my head that I just don't get. And as, as a therapist, you know, like, like my process has been, that I really try, I tried to learn to put myself in the other person's shoes as much as possible. Obviously my experience is a hundred percent my own and their experience is a hundred percent theirs. But as much as I can, my process is to try and put myself in their place 
to understand their thought process and, and help from there. But racism is one of those things I have never, ever been able to, to wrap my mind around. What, what does it matter that a person's skin is slightly or, or very dark, right. much darker than yours or lighter or whatever. I, I've never gotten it. And that, that movie, when I watched it, I don't want to say that I understand or agree with, with uh, the, I don't even remember the main character's perspective, but I remember in the beginning of, cause wasn't it like in the beginning of the mo- spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't watched it, but in the beginning of the movie, he's very much like embedded in the, um, like national, like white nationalist, um, brain kind of perspective. And then do, isn't it later, like, doesn't he have like a, like he has a black cellmate or something, right? Doesn't he have a, like a little more sympathetic viewpoint on, on black people? I thought that was the point of it. I can't remember um, either, but something does shift him. I can't remember what it was though. Right. Yeah. And I just remember watching that movie and thinking like, again, I don't understand or agree, but I, I understand how he sees that he's right at the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. you know, the, the white nationalism stuff. Again, I, th- I think it's horrifying and just sickening that, that there are people that think that, but at the same time, like if that's how you're raised and that's what you know, and that's what you're taught, then, you know, that's, that's how you see the world. Yeah. I, I was thinking too, I was I'll talking about right husband- soliciting a broad right back. Okay. Kid issue. Sorry. I was talking to my husband about um, all of this kind of around the same time that I reached out to Justin and he really talked about how he had read something that was talking about how when we evolved into the humans that we are now that when we were more primitive type creatures there was a lot that happened for us to really decide if some some other creature that we came in contact with or even other humanoids were dangerous so like is this person from another tribe taller than me are they wider than me are they skinnier than me are they darker than me do they have different color eyes than me and he was talking about how before we could really think abstractly and use reasoning to, to help us decide if things were safe. And I, and it kind of fits with polyvagal theory, right? That before the other, um, the the safe and social system was on track Mm -hmm. and developed, we Mm -hmm. used more concrete examples of what made people safe. Um, and, and my husband was talking about, um, it being a, kind of a, a product of how do I know that this baby is mine? So like if as evolutionary creatures, like when we procreate, like does that baby have my eye color? Does that baby have my hair color? Well, if not, I'm going to reject it because it's not mine. And you have, you know, had a relationship with someone else. And so there was like this thing that he was reading about just like how we, used to before we evolved more use tools like that to discriminate if something was safe or not. Um, and it made me, I don't know, just really think about polyvagal theory. And also I think there's a theory on tribalism too, about like, you know, how we're sort of hardwired to think that like me is safe. 
And so we just kind of had some conversations about that. I don't have any sources or anything to back up that, but it all sort of made sense to me from a polyvagal perspective and from other things that I've read that were just kind of like that actually makes sense. Like before we could abstractly think and, you know, reflect on these things in a deeper way, we had to use pretty concrete things to say, this is good, this is bad. But those are happening nowadays, though. Right. So not not to suggest that some people are (laughs) underdeveloped, because I don't want to say that, but like... (laughs) (laughs) That was racist. But what if you think about... If you're in dorsal vagal... (laughs) So if you're using that more primitive part of your nervous system... Is it possible that you fall back into more? I so can I get my opinion? Sure. I I see where you're coming from. I think you're overthinking it. Okay. I think I think there's an easy parallel we could each identify with. On some level, in a safe way, okay. For some reason, 49er fans hate Raiders fans. (laughs) There is no cognitive reason why this should be happening. There's no, there's no reason. It makes no sense. But there is this underlying distaste for each other. Mm-hmm. When you go to a football game, you're hugely sympathetically active. Lots yes. of noise and activity and stomping and clapping. And so you focus on where is this energy going to go to? And that's the enemy right there. It's the other team wearing the other colors. I think I think there could be a very easy explanation for racism just on that level of like, I feel this energy and it's not from football. It's probably from your own childhood. It's probably from your own pain, your own traumas, what your parents are. I don't think I'm, I don't, I wasn't raised in a racist home, but I'm guessing racist parents don't just say, Hey, here's the facts of life. Oh, and by the way, black people are X, Y, and Z. There's probably a lot of like sympathetic charge in these homes, I would think. And so you take that sympathetic charge and then we pinpoint the villain. We pinpoint the person that is out to get us or is different than us that's my assumption similar to a football game huge sympathetic charge but we have to have an enemy we have to have a place to put this sympathetic energy yeah it's a it's that other team who wears a different color who has their own language who has their own culture really versus and if a 49er fan versus a raider fans huge cultural not as much anymore but back in the day niner fans are known for like having wine at the games Raider fans are known for the black hole where they have like black garb and like, you know, everything's like black skulls and like, you know what I'm talking about? So huge cultural thing where it's like, that's not us. This is us. But we both have this sympathetic charge and so we go against each other. You know what I mean? So I think, I think that racism might be able to be, and that's kind of where I would come at it from. If I were able to work with like a racist person, like, What's underneath those thoughts? It's not the thoughts. Yeah. The thoughts lead yeah. to really dangerous places, but what's underneath that? And then how do the thoughts explain what you're feeling? That's kind of where I, I would come at it from. Does that make sense? Like the, the thoughts are a rationalization for whatever you have inside. Yes. I think you guys are saying the same thing. Think so? I think I, so. But, but, but you can look at it in just those terms without bringing in like I th- we, tribal. I mean, what we're talking about. Yeah, it is the same thing. Yeah. But and we could look at an evolutionary advantage of it, maybe, but really it's like we there's a sympathetic charge which you're ascribing to not within but without and to a group of people. Yes. Or to anyone not mm-hmm. you, I guess. That doesn't look just you know like you. Yeah. Those are my those are my thoughts. 
Yeah, I mean, essentially what you just said is story follows state. So if, you know, if yep. we if we have a sympathetic charge, we're going to look for some way to dispel that energy. And if mm -hmm. our conditioning tells us that these are the people to target, then that's what we're going to do. Yeah. Yeah, that, I think so. I'm, I agree yeah. with that. I think so. Yeah. I think another layer to this is I don't think just white people can be racist on that, on that level, mm. on that level. Now who holds the power? Who are, who's the people who own the buildings and who owns the positions that hold power? That's a whole separate thing, right? How, what do we do with those stories? Yeah. But on that level of like otherizing mm -hmm. on just that basic level, I think that can, that's, that can be any of us on the level of like what you, the two of you described, especially Mercedes, what you described in school. I can't relate to that. If, even if the few kids that weren't white in my high school tried to otherize me, it's like, it just numerically wouldn't make sense. Visually it doesn't yeah. make sense. Like it, it, there's a, but can that kid hold sympathetic energy that's targeted toward people that look like me? Sure. Mm -hmm. How meaningful is that in the big scheme of things? Probably not very meaningful. So yeah. I, that's, just add a new wrinkle to it, which I don't I think would, is controversial. I would say, so language is a little important. nervous. I'm sorry. <laughs> I do. Oh no, I it's do. okay. I was just going to say language is important, right? So if we look at racism as being tied to power, then we would say that other people who do not have power are prejudiced or biased rather than racist. I think that I think that has been an argument because racism right. means that you hold power. So it does now. Right. Did, 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 that's not the way. I mean, like when I was, it used to be, I don't know about the two of you, but when we were taught this in my school, it was about tolerance. We should tolerate. That never made sense to me, but it, it wasn't about like power and racism. It was just about tolerate people that don't look like you or sound like you. But I think nowadays it's shifted into you no, know, there's power that's that's involved in racism. Yeah, I think that was because the language may have shifted because we sort of became more open to identifying that systemic racism exists and that mm. that can only be perpetuated in by people who have power and systems that have power. So I think I agree with you. I think that anyone can have biases and anyone oh, can yeah. be prejudiced and anyone can turn those prejudice and biased thoughts into actions that are harmful and hateful. But I think some people would argue with you that that doesn't necessarily make them racist. Because of the lack of gravity to those decisions, the power that is behind those decisions. Yeah. That makes sense. I, I guess I definitely see where they're coming from. What were you going to say, Mercedes? <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> when Justin first said that, Justin, you looked you looked kind of nervous, like hesitant. Hell yeah. Yeah. You're worried this about how people will perceive that. I, I assume course. not Karina and myself, but people that are listening. Not so much. Your, your, both of your opinion on me does matter, but um, no, I feel comfortable talking openly. Yeah. But yeah, like, yeah, hell yeah, I feel nervous about all of this stuff. I can yeah. talk one on one. Mercedes, you and I have had some heavy talks. Absolutely. But recording it for thousands of people here, yeah, it's a little different. 
you know, do I yeah. want these personal conversations and my thoughts to be all of my thoughts to be put out there? No, not especially. So yeah, there's definitely some nervousness there. Does that yeah. surprise you? I, like I want to, I want to say no, and I want to say yes. I guess yes. I guess it surprises me, but I think this goes back to something that we talk about a lot: is that I, I know you, I, I know who you are and how you are. I understand your intentions most of the time. That's a joke. I don't know, <laughs> um, but I, I understand that you're in, I, I know you as a person that your intentions are always true and honest and loving their, your intentions always come from a place of respect and kindness. And I also know that you are misunderstood. Sure. I, I want to say, I want to say at first sight, not, not at first sight, but like when people don't dig further, I think you tend to be misunderstood because I, I think you tend to, you don't always abide by social norms where it's like, I don't want to go to the potluck. <laughs> right. <laughs> and some people will see that as yeah, rude. Right. Mm -hmm. But, but again, like I, I know where that's coming from because I know yeah. you so well. And so I guess I am surprised that you seem nervous, but when you yeah. brought that up, but, but I also know the context of it too, I guess. So that's why I am not surprised. Cause I know that your experience has been, your eyes have been a little, opened by people's reactions recently. And maybe, maybe that's not fair to say recently. Cause I know that in our time doing the podcast, there have been several times where you and I were like, what, what is happening? Why, why are people reacting this way? Yeah. Um, and I know that you value very much the idea of being understood as a person who cares and, and sure. respects and not, not seen as a person who is unkind or disrespectful. Yeah. So yeah. I guess it makes sense. So I don't know why I felt the need to there's, point that there's out. Nervous, it's not nervousness in talking about these issues. I think it's fun. I like this. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that I could recognize that tight defensive feeling and be open with you about that. You mm -hmm. know, like I'm good. Mm -hmm. But if the wrong person hears this and wants to get me fired because they think I said the wrong thing, like that's that goes through my mind. Right. Yeah. That's out there. Like, that's real, right? Right. Yeah. And that that person nowadays can look like anything. Like, it just, you know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. a lot of anger there. And it's, I think a new, uh, a wrinkle to that power argument is who holds cultural power right now? Like, people can say a lot of nasty stuff on Twitter. People say kill white people. No problem. But if I say something even remotely iffy, a mob's going to come after me and my job. You know what I mean? So like, as I'm mm -hmm. talking about these things, I'm good with both of you. And I, I, I love hearing your stories and I so appreciate that. And I appreciate you listening to me. But once this, if this goes out, I'm like, who's that person that wants my head? Like who wants to get me fired? That, that goes through my, and then mm -hmm. my family goes through my mind. It's like, is it worth, is it worth that? On some level it is, right. and on some level it's like, I'm not going to put my wife and my kids at risk because even though the cause is a good cause and I want to talk about this stuff and be honest about how I feel and how I think. and So I have all kinds of stuff that goes through my mind, and it's not just the issue, it's all this other stuff that goes along with it. 
Yeah. I have a similar fear. It's not, it's like obviously different, but I have a fear that people will listen to this and think that in some way I've like appeased a white man. Like, Mm. like, are you buying into this white man's whatever, you know, really? even though it was my idea to have this conversation, I think there's still a part. It's there. I think it's tied to what I shared earlier that there's a part of me that still fears that I am biased towards black people or the black experience Mm -hmm. or whatever you want to call it to where I am blind to like being too forgiving or too lenient or too accepting or whatever it is of, of well-intentioned white people or of, I don't know, I guess, frankly, do I, do I buy into white supremacy myself in some ways? Like, I think there's still a fear that, so like I am the whole time thinking, is there something I'm missing here? Like, is there, like, is there, should I be a part of this conversation? Is there, you know, should I have had this conversation with a different person that looks different than you? Or, you know, I don't, yeah, I don't know. And like, you know, just how you were saying you're good and we don't need to take care of you. Was that a moment that we took care of you? Like, should we, you know, <laughs> like, should, yeah, yeah, that totally like, went through my head and, and the, the claims of like white tears went through my head. I'm like, oh my God, is this one of those times where people, I don't, that's, I don't feel like I, I know me. I feel, I know how I feel. Yeah. But is, are there white tears or white fragility? The white, this white, that are those phrases going to be thrown at me now because I'm having an honest conversation with. With the two of you, you know, I was just going to say, and then am I coddling you? Like, am I, am I, am I that, that black person, right? Am I, am, am I, that's what I keep thinking is like, <sighs> you shouldn't even have to think about that shit, right? It's so frustrating, right. but it's, um, mm. but I just wanted to acknowledge too, that you're not the only person who is having thoughts like that pop up as we're having the conversation. Mm. Thank you for reassuring and coddling me. I, I feel so much better. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm, I'm so with you. You have to laugh to let the sympathetic no, uh, absolutely. energy out. You know what I mean? Yeah, yes. But absolutely. I, I really appreciate that, Karina. I, I really do everything you said. And now I'm drawing a blank as to what you just said because I was laughing. And damn it. <laughs> well, I have something to say. Go I, ahead. I'm sorry. I think, I think that's where I get frustrated because I understand. Oh, I know. Go up. <laughs> <laughs> My turn. Sorry. I'm sorry. White I'm man. Sorry. I know. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> That's a t-shirt right I, there. I think. My turn, white man. <laughs> yeah. That's going to go yeah. in my store. We could match those. Um, I, I think that's where I get really frustrated with the whole thing is that at what point are we overthinking it? And at what right. point have we gone too far the other way? I was talking about the pendulum in my right. own story, right? Like mm-hmm. this, the pendulum, we don't want the pendulum to swing either way too far. We want it to be somewhere in the middle. And for me, it's like, okay, like, yes, he's white. Yes, he's a man. But he's like, he's also a human being and everything that we as minorities are asking for, he deserves as well. And I shouldn't use you as an example, Justin. So no, just the white man also deserves the white man, woman also deserves the same yes. things that we're asking for as far as respect and love and kindness. 
and being given the benefit of the doubt or how, whatever you want to call it. Everybody deserves that. And that's where I get really kind of annoyed, frankly, because it's like, yeah. yeah, like, yes, you have your experience of, of being discriminated against for whatever reason. And this transcends the issue of racism, obviously, mm -hmm. but, but just because a person is, I don't want to say normal, but you know, nor typical, like just because a, a person is, is Caucasian and heterosexual and comes from a, an intact nuclear family, like that doesn't mean that that person doesn't have the same feelings and fears that any other person who is not white has or doesn't come from a nuclear home, like an intact nuclear family or isn't heterosexual. You, you know, everybody has the same needs and concerns and, and worries. And so at some point, like, it's got to be fine that Justin expressed his feelings as a white man and a, a, a biracial woman and a Hispanic woman said, you know what, we understand and that's okay. Like, mm. at some point that has to be fine, because if it's not fine, then it's just the same process over again right. with a different target. You know, yeah. so and this now I'm scared that I'm going to be saying the wrong thing. I don't want people to understand me saying that we should coddle white people or that white people should be taken care of. I don't want that. That's not the point. The point I is, don't want that. no, I don't think I don't want that. The point is that if, if people's intentions are true and honest and, and they are really open to hearing and understanding other people's experiences and, and they want to do the right thing, let's accept that. Because we're all human and we're not going to do the right thing and we're not going to say the right thing all the time. And you can't expect that of somebody, regardless of the fact that they're white or black or yellow or purple or spotted or whatever, <sighs> you know, it, yeah. it's ridiculous to expect that. That's what I, I wanted to that. say. I appreciate that. I agree that. with I, I that. Oh, go ahead, Justin. No, 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 no please. I was going to say, don't I agree with me. that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! I won't take hey, your coddling, but I will around. take I will take your praise. I I love praise. I need praise. Okay. But I don't want your coddling. All right. <laughs> oh, I lost my Sorry, thought Karina. now. Um, Karina, I really hope you know I was joking right there. Oh yes, I do. I do. Okay. All right. Okay, all right. I was just trying to recall what the hell I was gonna say. Sorry. Um, I, I was saying about I'm frustrated with the fact that like don't overthink it. Yes. Okay. So I would, I would agree with you. And I think what I would add to that is that a, a maybe a missing piece of what you said is people do need to own their privilege. So, you know, we can be well-intentioned, we can be loving, we can be kind, we can do all of those things. And I think owning privilege is a piece of that. Like even, even yes. if I don't, even if I don't feel like I have a lot of privilege in the world, I, I do. My hair is, my hair is different than uh, people who are fully black. My skin is lighter. I'm cisgender. I'm straight. Like I have privilege. And I think that mm. that has to be a part of the process too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. I or, appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Saying those, those levels, because you usually when you hear about privilege, it's the white male privilege. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, th I think it's more complicated than that. I appreciate you listening. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I'm at a point where I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. I'm on board uh, with the, in general, the idea of privilege, I think it's a lot more complex. Yeah. And I, I did a chat with someone uh, a couple weeks ago that'll be where I, I laid out an example 
uh, where I, I had an interaction with police where I definitely feel like there was some level of privilege there that got me through the situation very unscathed and without yeah. a whole lot of consequence. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think privilege is not a thing. And on the level of race, I think white people and on the level of gender, men have probably had more of the of that going our way. Mm-hmm. What yeah. I will disagree with Mercedes on, though, if I may. Is it okay? Or did you want to finish something up, Karina? Do you have a thought to oh, add? Oh, no. I was just going to say, I think to think about privilege simply is, would my life have been different or harder or more complicated if I were X? So, you know, if I were mm-hmm. gay, if I were trans, if I were, mm-hmm. I don't know, whatever, that fill in the blank. Sorry. Yes. That makes sense. There was someone played a video for us, uh, Mercedes at work where it was, I don't know who the speaker was, but she's saying, oh, yeah. would you trade your skin for a black person's skin? And mm-hmm. the audience was all white people and no one raised their hand. And it was like, I'm raise like, your hand like, if you want to have that person's experience, something like that. If you want to be treated the way a black male is treated in our country. Something, something like, like that. that. But it was the way I heard it was, do you want their skin? I, that's, I, I thought it was like a very literal thing. Do you want to trade skin mm-hmm. for it? And yeah. in my head, I'm like, no, no, I don't. And it's mm-hmm. for all these reasons. You know what I mean? So on, I, that makes sense to me. Yeah. But um, the thing I would, I wanted to add to what Mercedes said, she said that deep down we could all kind of relate to each other, that we do have the same feelings. And yeah, we do. We all have the same nervous systems. But the story of you in school, I cannot relate to that. Like, I just don't get that. I, I get the words, the experience. I right. really can't. I remember the first time where I felt like I was in the, where I noticed that I was the minority as far as skin color was it a, is in a shopping center or at a supermarket in um, Bay Area, San Francisco area. And there's a big Filipino po- uh, population in Pacifica, Daly City. And I was just doing my thing, shopping, and I stopped and I looked around. I'm like, I'm the only white white person in here. Like, there's a ton of like Filipino people, and I just like noticed it. And, like, I stopped dead in my tracks, and I just like looked around. And I noticed like, oh, this this is different than what I'm used to. Schooling for me, my whole life up until that point, I was like 21, 22. I'm like, this is different. I don't look the same as the people here. I notice this now. Like, and that's a small piece. So. Up until that moment, now I walked away and I went back home and life resumed. I remember the experience, but it ended. And I hope these experiences for people end, but like you had at least all of high school to feel that. And I think it was sound like it was more than that as well. So on that level, even though we have the same nervous system and we have the potential to feel the same feelings, I probably have not felt things that like the two of you were describing. I, I have not. True. True. I can but relate on some level that, empathy, but yeah. But my argument is that at the at the most basic level, right? You do understand yeah. internally, like fully, the experience of wanting to belong, right? As as human beings, yes. every single one of us has that. Every one of us, you know, all of us have the need to feel loved and to connect. And while that may look different like every one of our stories is going to be different because obviously every one of us is a different nervous system and everything that that encompasses, in, including, you know, cultural experiences and family experiences and all of it, you know, 
all of us are different, but we all have those super, super, and I'm talking about the most simple basic needs. We, we all have that. Mm-hmm. And cause you're right. Your, your experience, you, I hadn't thought of that. You can't relate to my experience and feeling that way through high school, but every single person on this planet can relate to the feeling of wanting to belong, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah. what we need to remember is yeah. we're all different in our own ways. As hokey as that sounds. I think, I think, we could all, we maybe have experienced something where we felt otherwise or someone looked at us and said, mm-hmm. like, I, I was on an airplane and I looked like a punk kid with blue hair and this elderly white woman did not want to sit next to me. And the, the guy mm-hmm. brought her over to sit next to me. She looked at me and said, no, I want to sit over there. <laughs> and my friend and I, but that was one instance. And my friend and I laughed about it because it was funny. It was more of a funny thing, but obviously left an impression on me because I still remember that. I remember mm-hmm. what I looked like, but I can change my hair color. And the situation ended. So on some level, I can understand, on a, to me, a very small level of what you're talking about. Can I blow that up and magnify it and have it last four years? Not yeah. not really. So I can kind of, I see what you're saying and the big themes of like being otherized or like wanting to belong or feeling rejection. I have pieces of that in my own way, but we're talking about things that last a lifetime potentially when it comes yeah. to skin color, when it comes to race, when it comes to gender and, you know, sexuality, like lifetimes, I can't, I cannot tap into that. Yeah. On that level, on that level. But I, I see what you're saying though. Well, and that just goes back to what Karina was saying before about acknowledging privilege. Hmm. You know, I, I think those two things can go hand in hand. And I, I wonder if some of the problems we're experiencing in society currently right now have to do with the fact that people think that those are mutually exclusive and they're not, you know, cause uh, I'll use you as an example because you're right in front of me, Justin, as a, as a white man, you can acknowledge your privilege and understand that your experience is different than mine or different than Karina's. But at the same time, you can also have compassion and understand that we all do have the same basic needs. Yeah. So, so there's like those two things can live together. Yeah. You were going to say something, mm-hmm. Karina. I was going to say Justin's experience is obviously a valid experience of being othered. It's also being othered based on your choices. So you chose to dye your hair. You chose what clothes you wore, whatever. It's different when you came into the world a certain way and people see you as other. And Mm -hmm. I think that's the the hard part for some people to realize because they might take that experience of, well, I've had blue hair and I have had this experience and think that it is the same. And I think that's where a lot of the conflict comes up that we're seeing right now is that similar, not the same, right? That's mm-hmm. not, not the same thing. Right. Yeah. No, I acknowledge that. We actually, Mercedes and I had a conversation with a coworker a couple of years ago where I brought that up and she goes, yeah, but you could change that. And I was like, oh, yeah, like she made that exact point and it really hit yeah. me and it stuck with me. I, I still remember that. I'm like, oh, yeah, like that. I could walk away from that. I can change. I, I changed my hair color all the time when I was a, in high school and yeah. eventually cut it off. And here I am. So, like, yeah, I could change it. I could I could leave it behind. Like I could create a new look for myself if I wanted to. It wasn't a it wasn't like stuck to me. It wasn't a permanent rejection or otherizing or dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You made me think of a story about my husband because 
he his he grew up working on farms and um his dad so badly wanted him to be this like good old country farm boy and they would go down to the cattle market and here's my husband with like his hair is naturally like platinum blonde but he dyed it blue a blue bowl cut hair in jinko jeans and like chain wallets and you know like he and so oh, that was big so yes. like, <laughs> that's how jeans. i met my husband <laughs> i met my husband with a chain wallet oh man did he you just took me nice. back <laughs> those things were kind of hot for a while i was yeah. i wanted to them um <laughs> But yeah, so that so we have had these conversations too about like you were definitely you definitely didn't fit into the culture of where you were raised, but it wasn't because of something that like you could have easily blended in should you have chosen to do that. Hey, this is post production, Justin. There's a segment that went here that we agreed to take out. It was a personal anecdote which leads into this next bit, which I wanted to keep in but we, we wanted to remove this personal anecdote. So now back to our conversation. That's interesting though. The, you, you said they won't show you who they are until they feel safe with you. And it's, I think it's all that it's this polyvagal stuff. Like if I can reach a level of connection with you now, I'll share what I really think. Yep. Yeah. And now, and I do wonder if people get to that point, are they greeted with judgment and shame or, more of an open ear or what not condoning not saying yeah i get where you're coming from but like i think that if people were to open up and say look this is what i really think i I think they would be greeted with a lot of hate and they would go right back into that sympathetic stuff and into those stories those racist stories yeah i don't know the i don't know the correct way to approach a racist person i'm not not saying I, i have the an answer or the answer but from what i'm seeing um Who's that? I don't know his name, but there's a, a black man who goes to like clan rallies. Oh yeah. I know who you're talking he'll about. Connect, mm. He'll mm-hmm. connect with them. Like he'll sit down and talk with them. And he's like, within 15 minutes, I can get them like talking with me, like talk, talk. So there's, there's something to that. I think to like being, I agree. Maybe the bigger person in a way, being the safer person, being the one who comes from curious, curiosity, not, not about the, like the story, the racist story. I don't think, but mm-hmm. about the stuff underneath it. And I, I'm, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm assuming that that's what that man does is he tries to connect with the human, the person. And he, one thing he does, I did see was he talks about like music. He's like, mm-hmm. if I get people talking about music, we're good. Like I can, I'll find a way to connect with them versus on the, the thoughts, the racist thoughts. Yeah. I admire people like that. That's it, it's actually something that's been on my mind. Cause I struggle with that. Cause you know, as much as we talk about racism and, and that's not okay. And da, 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 da. I'm that person that would be so judgmental if if a person approaches me and says, hey, guess what? I think white people are better than you. Sweet. Like, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> like, different, I, like I immediately on. shut down. No. I immediately. And maybe I shouldn't say shut down because I know we use that as a polyvagal term. But I immediately close myself off. I have nothing to do with you. I don't need to talk to you. But what I've been thinking in my mind lately, like I've just been reflecting on it, is that that's. I don't want to say just as bad because I don't feel like it's just as bad as a racist person, but it's, it's approaching the same thought process because a person like you were describing Justin is, I think that's ideal if we could all get to that place. And I think it's a huge, like a super high bar to set, but I think if we could all get to a place of curiosity, 
and avoid the judgment as much as possible, I think that would be great. Because I, I can acknowledge for myself that I maybe I'll say I'm racist against racists <laughs> because mm. I don't I don't tolerate that. I, I don't understand. Right. I, I've, I've never understood. And I'll be 100 percent honest, like my dad was I, I always try and protect him. And I was about to say partially racist. No, he was racist. He straight out told me one time, I, I must have been late in high school, junior, senior year, and he said something to the effect of, if you marry someone, he said it weird, it was something like, if you don't marry someone from the Western Hemisphere, that's not okay. Meaning black people, I assume he also meant like maybe Asians, like Middle Eastern Asian, I don't know. I don't know what he meant, but I thought that was crazy. Anyway, so I, I'm saying that there was some exposure for me uh, with that stuff but I at the same time I never had I've never had an issue with accepting someone who was different than me for the sheer reason that they're different than me I've never seen that as a problem and so I I can't understand why this horrifying stuff happened like I, I can't justify that in my head that that you feel okay to gun a guy down because he's running he's jogging and he's got a different skin color than you I can't and if I met those two gentlemen and they said, oh, guess what we did? Maybe that's a terrible example because <laughs> murder is bad. But, um, you know, if I met these two guys pre this event, that's terrible that I'm making jokes about it. I don't I don't know that I could have a lot of compassion for them. And I I don't like that. Right. But but it's still like I, I don't I'm not in a place yet where I have that compassion for a person who doesn't have compassion. Mm -hmm. I love that he is able to do that. The guy that goes to mm -hmm. the Klan rallies. But at the same time, I think that for some people, it sets an expectation that all black men or black whoever or people of color should be able to do that. And while he yeah. is taking the risk to like put his time on the line, his safety on the line, his whatever on the line to help these people see him as a person too. I don't know that everyone should have to do that is in a place where they can do that. No, or I, so I think not. sometimes, you know, people will pull up those videos and be like, well, why can't, why can't you be like that? Or why don't you think like no. this? Or, and so, so I think both of those experiences are valid, right? It really mm -hmm. depends on I th for me, it depends on where the person catches me. What day do they catch me on? Because <clears throat> if I'm in a regulated state, I can probably have a much more compassionate conversation right. than yes. if something catches me off guard or of if, the oh, of if the context is different, you know? That's a really good point. When it comes to... No, no I'm 100% with you. When it comes to that situation where he's going to the Klan rallies, it's not about... My interest there is not him. It is interesting that he's doing that. Yeah. But I'm not saying let's all do that. I'm saying that person he's talking with was able to be reached. Like there's still some humanity in there. Yeah. It's not just this person that we right. label as a racist. There's mm. more to this human being. And they've, for some reason, they've latched on to the racist piece. Like that's their thing in life. I don't know. But like there's more to them. They like music. You know what I mean? They might have a favorite sports team. There's more to them. We, and I, I think it's, I don't think it helps to see people as racist and that's it. There yeah. is a human yeah. being in there, right? And that might be really yeah. uncomfortable to say that, but that's my curiosity is like, oh, there is a human being there. 
this guy was able, this guy who look, who is their enemy is able to walk in there. I'm not saying do that. Yeah. Is able to walk in there and make a real connection. So like there's some, there's the potential to connect is still there. All the polyvagal stuff, it's still there. It's not Mm -hmm. gone. Now, what do we do with that information? I don't know. But for me, I'm just like curious and like, and really interested in like, oh, there is a human being in there. Yeah. They they have a nervous system. It's still accessible. That's the same argument for Black Lives Matter, I think, is see me as a human. See me yeah. as right. somebody who matters, somebody who, you know, and it's, I would, I guess maybe I shouldn't make a judgment there, but for a lot of black people, they're just doing regular things, right? Like Breonna Taylor was asleep, you know, like mm. people are just living life. They're for many of them, they aren't spouting off anything aggressive or angry or racist or whatever, and they are killed. And so it's, I think it's like the same argument can be made for if this person is yelling and spouting off things at this rally and you can, they can be reached and be connected with how come you don't offer that same thing to this person who's just walking down the street being themselves or, you know, of course, of course. It's a high expectation. And I, I'm thinking of myself in that. And it makes me think of um, Maslow's hierarchy, right? Like that, that guy, I don't know his name either. The, the black guy that goes into the Klan rallies, like he's got to be pretty close to the top of, of the hierarchy. Right. Because, Gosh, you have to have so many, like there has to be so much other safety you already have in your life to be able to put yourself in that state of mind and say, you know what I'd like to try to do today is change someone else's mind on a deep level. Mm. And it's, I'm saying, I don't want to sound like it's impossible. I was telling Karina, I think it was one of the times that you stepped out, Justin, but I was telling Karina, I tend to be an idealist. I think we could achieve that. I think everybody does have the potential to have an open mind, but it, it is a big ask. It is a high sure. bar to set, but I would love sure. to, I would, I would love for people to, to try to get there. It, and I think that's what my point was earlier when I was saying about, we all have the same needs. We all are human. We all want to be loved, you know? And then what happens from there after the moment of birth, like everything compiles to make us who we are. But at the end of the day, there's always that commonality. So I, I would love to see the day that there's more compassion like that, more curiosity. Well, we're doing time. the work. I was going to mm. say we're doing that work, right? When we bring people mm. to Ventral, they have space for compassion. That's it, yeah. So yeah. do we believe that someone who is as racist as you get, do we believe they have the capability of getting to their safe and social state? I think they do, eventually. Yeah. Same. I would say yes. It might take a long time or a lifetime, but it might, yes, huh? it might. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. How long? We've been talking for like <laughs> two and a half hours, and and we've only told one of our stories. Remember, I we know. Were I know. <laughs> Jeez. Well, I'm happy to meet again if if the two of you are up for it. Um, how did you feel about this uh, for both of you? How are you doing? I'm. I'm just curious how you're both doing or not. I am. I what's the word? I'm um. 
energized, activated. I'm motivated, motivated, inspired. That's the word I want. I'm inspired. I think it's, um, I love having this type of conversation. Like the academic side of me is very, um, like all guns firing right now. And I feel, I feel like for my, like personally, like I, I've set, in our conversation, I've set a goal for myself to try and be more compassionate. I, I said earlier, I don't have compassion for people do, who don't have compassion. I'd like to work on that for myself. So I'm feeling motivated. And I just, nice. I just took a big breath. Like that feels like a big goal. Cause I, I just have so many stories in my head about people that are people that discriminate, but I truly believe in, in what we're talking about. I truly believe in, in the power of, of love and being curious and, and coming at a situation with compassion. So I'm going to, my goal is to be compassionate to people who are not compassionate and try and be more open to their stories. I would say, I mean, the past three, four weeks have been super emotional for me, just Hmm. feeling very raw. I think from some of the experience that I've shared of, you know, hard conversations with friends and coworkers, but other things that I didn't share as well. So I think what I'm feeling is just like really grateful that we've been, been able to have these conversations and to share our perspectives without judgment or without, um, you know, any kind of negative ramifications. And I don't know, I think for the first time in like four weeks, I might be close to crying for a positive reason right now. So that feels good to me. Because I think I just think it's such a beautiful thing that we while we have similar some similar experiences, we also don't share our entire lives together. And even if we did, our experiences would be different. I just think it's beautiful that we can come together and have conversations, hear each other, validate each other, you know, really just see people and, and, and hear them. And I think that a lot of times that simple thing is what's missing from these types of conversations. hundred percent with you on that. Um, I'm a little concerned. I'm not as worried about Mercedes, but Karina, you, you and I have less time together. I'm worried that you think of me differently. Oh, I don't. Not at all. No? Well, yes, but in a good way. Because this gives us more time together, right? This this will shift my perspectives of you, but in a good way. I think I've learned okay. more about you, and I've seen more of your heart and your vulnerability. And to me, that's what I need to be able to trust somebody and to feel like they're safe and yeah, no, I, I I do think differently of you, but in a good way. Okay. I'm, I was really worried about that. Mercedes is not super worried about how you feel about me. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I'm, I was, maybe as a final thought, I was um, pleasantly surprised at what you were saying earlier about why, actually all of us kind of said it, why can't we just like talk about this stuff without those other judgments um, and questions and anxieties intruding on it and I think just for what it's worth just between the three of us I really appreciated our time together and the the space to be open and honest and listen to both of your experiences but also share a little bit of mine 
and yeah, those intrusive thoughts came in of like judgment. What, what are people going to think? Am I saying the wrong thing? It's going to like all kinds of stuff went through my head, but just between the three of us, I appreciate our just having, being able to do this. So thank you so much for that. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Same. Okay. It's a good time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ugh. I'll keep this really short and sweet. Dear listener, thank you so much for listening to this entire conversation. I really hope you got as much out of this as I did. Let's listen to each other. Just in general, can we agree on that? Let's let's listen to each other. All of us. Please. Karina and Mercedes, once again, thank you both so much for coming on and allowing me to hear your experiences and to make a deeper connection with both of you. I'm absolutely honored. I'm absolutely humbled. It was a privilege to be a part of this. Thank you. You're both welcome back anytime. And actually, I'm sure you'll both be back because we still have to get to the other stories. Until then, bye. All right, well, I'll, I'm going to go ahead. I was just going to say, I have a shit memory, so I don't even know half of the things that I said. <laughs> so, so that's really the I reason love I love Karina so much. <laughs> I told you, I, t- I was telling Mercedes, like, Karina's going to fit right in. Like, I feel like we're just going to be three of us. It. There's going to be no it. steps lost here whatsoever. I love right. it. Um, I was, I have to say, right, I was kind of on my best behavior. Not my best behavior, but I was on oh, yeah, some good were. behavior. But yeah, you yeah were. nice. <laughs> yeah, you were. Such an ass. <laughs> He's such an ass. <laughs> uh...